Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we've got a listener question that was sent yeah. in. So uh, we had a conversation a while back where Rochelle happened to mention that she had been billed for learning on the job from a VA and wasn't very happy about that. So uh, one of the dear listeners wrote in and wanted to hear more about what to do when you're the freelancer who's spending your time doing the thing, but you're asked to do something that you don't know how to do. And the, I think the crux of the question, it was a, a nice note, but the crux of it, I think, was was this. Uh, the question was, when is it okay for a freelancer to build a client for on-the-job training? Should you always warn the client that you don't have expertise in something they've asked you to do? How do you do this without degrading your authority? All right. So there's like actually a ton of stuff going on here. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think for people who don't consider themselves to be freelancers, this might be of interest uh, to you anyway, especially if you're hiring freelancers or VAs or, you know, whatever contractors. Uh, so, so stay tuned because there might be some interesting things here as well. Um, so I, I think I uh, want to take each sentence individually. So first, when is it okay for a freelancer to build a client for on-the-job training. So there's a bunch of stuff implied here, which is that the freelancer is billing by the hour mm -hmm. because if the freelancer wasn't billing by the hour, the client wouldn't care. Exactly. <laughs> if, it was, if it was fixed, like right off the bat, fixed setting a fixed price based on value or otherwise, setting a fixed price makes this immediately go away because the, you know, in your scenario, for example, if, the the new VA or the probationary VA was like, oh, it'll be X dollars for me to uh, deliver this outcome to you. And the VA had to go and spend 15 hours getting up to speed on systems that were required. Like, who cares? Right. right. Like, I wouldn't have you, cared. Right. I mean, I wanted to know point, what it was and I wanted to have the job done. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, I suppose they could be like taking six months and you're like, um, I really needed this five <laughs> months ago, but, but that'll fix itself because the, the freelancer is not, not going to do that. They're not going to no, spend that She was smart. She would have, she would have figured it out. Right. There's an automatic incentive for the, the, the seller in this case, whatever you want to call them, the seller in a fixed price relationship to deliver high quality as quickly as possible, you know, to, yes. to satisfy the client as quickly as possible. It's in everyone's best interest. So fixed pricing solves this problem immediately. And then it becomes a question of like, oh, but what about scope creep? But we'll bookmark that. Um, so if you're not billing by the hour, then this goes away uh, in large part, I think maybe completely. Um, but let's say you are, let's say you are billing by the hour and this is a thing you haven't done before. Then I think we get into the second question, which is should you always warn the client that you don't have experience in something they've asked you to do? And my answer to that is like, yes, why wouldn't you, right? Like definitely yes. So I think it's fine if the expectations are set in advance of roughly what you're getting into. I think as, as a buyer, and this is reflected in your story as well, Rochelle, that it's the surprise of like, wait a second, you're getting, you're getting the price after it's too late, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the price is delivered after the work has been done instead of upfront. So even if you are going to bill by the hour, uh, it, it, in my case, if someone, if I was billing by the hour and someone was like, oh, I need you to, I don't know, stand up a node server, never done it. I, I know software. I know what node is. I know how to stand up a server. But if somebody said, hey, we really need you to do that, 
I'd say, well, I've never done that. I'm sure I can figure it out. I don't know how long it's going to take. I have no idea how long it's going to take. And then I would, I would expect, I wouldn't say that I would give them an idea, but if I, if, you know, that's a common thing to say, I have no idea how long it's going to take. And then the client should say something like, well, roughly how long, what do you think would be insanely too much time? It's like, oh, definitely. It's not going to take me more than a day. Like, oh, okay. Not a month and not a year. So you do have some idea. It shouldn't take me more than a day to do this. So on the buyer side, if you are paying someone by the hour to do something that they've told you they've never done before and you want them to do it anyway, then I would strongly recommend that you get some kind of reasonable estimate out of them because it could be orders of magnitude different. I mean, it could be, they could be like, oh, it'll take 80 hours. It'll take four hours. Like if they say, I have no idea, they're, they're actually wrong. They do have an idea, but they don't know exactly. So a lot of times when people don't know exactly, they say, I have no idea. That's the wrong thing to say. You do have an idea. It's probably going to be four to eight hours. Maybe it'll be 10. If it's totally bonkers, it'll be 20. And if, and and then the buyer is going to multiply the worst case scenario by your hourly rate and decide if that amount of money is worth it for you to get up to speed on the thing, even though it's still an estimate, that's what they're going to do. And then if that number is still acceptable, they'll probably have you do it. If the number is not acceptable, then they're, they're going to think, Hmm, could you recommend someone? Maybe I should look and go somewhere else. Uh, which maybe is a good time for you to kind of tell your story about the web thing, Rochelle, like you were saying, you were saying like, oh, you know, I, I paid someone to do this and I knew they didn't know how to do it, but I, I would rather do that than. Well, it was, it was my, my development guy who I've used for a number of years and we were doing this thing and he said, you know, by the way, I've never done that thing before. Uh, His first thing was, I'm not going to charge you for it. And I was like, uh, you know, I've worked with you for a long time. I trust you. I know you can figure it out. Like, what are we talking about here is really the question. That's when the mm-hmm. the buyer of the service, the onus is on you to find out. It just didn't feel fair that he wouldn't charge me for it at all. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. If he said, well, I'm not going to do it, I'd have to go find somebody. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm not going to find somebody for this one little piece of a technical project. And really, all I wanted was the peace of mind that he didn't just blithely assume he knew how to do it when he didn't, but would go and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And he did. And everybody was happy. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And especially with, I think, with technical things where there's an expertise in a thing, like a very specific technical thing. You know, I think that's different than when you might be doing something that's a little less technical and a little bit more, um, I don't want, exactly want to say intuitive, but it may be experiential. Like, um, you know, you've done interviews for analysis before, but you never did a survey. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's, I think there are different levels of this when it comes up. But for this particular one where... We have this working relationship where he bills me hourly. I've never had a problem with any of his bills, and I didn't have a problem with that one. Hmm. So, right. So, so I just want to point out to the listener, the cost, there is a cost that you would have to pay if he declined the work, because yes. then you still need it done. And then now you got to go mm-hmm. find somebody and all of that stress and time and blah, 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 blah. Easier for you to just pay someone you trust some reasonable amount of money, which is the gray area, to just learn it if he's willing to do it, which he was because he said he would do it for free. So if you're like, okay, 
I mean, there must have been, there must, you, you must have had some expectation that this wasn't going to take a hundred hours for him to learn. You, you had some expectation that, ah, he's smart. He can mm-hmm. figure it out pretty quick. I'm sure. Yeah. And he'd always been fair with me. You know, we had history. So I, I knew I wasn't going to get some crazy bill. It was mm-hmm. going to be, and he, and he'd probably underestimate how much time it actually took him. Probably. Just because that's, that's his MO. He's just very, he's a humble guy mm. and he's just, he tries to be fair. I shouldn't say try. He, I mean, he's probably more fair to the client than he is to himself. Mm-hmm. Is my point. A bunch of points sort of pinballing around there. But the bottom line, I think, is if a client asks you to do something that you don't have experience with, then you definitely should say that and, you know, and not misrepresent yourself or even just sort of be silent and say like, okay, sure. Because it's, it might be fine, you know, for this exact Mm -hmm. reason. They like, they, they trust you. They have a working relationship with you. They are not interested in adding another body to the mix and figuring out if they're going to be trustworthy or not. There's like this whole courtship phase that, that you've already gone through with the client. So you've got a lot on your side in a scenario like this as the seller. And it might be an opportunity for you to learn on the job, but you should give them some kind of, of picture of how long you think it would take so they can at least have an estimated price because they might, if, if they see that, if, if the estimated price from this person that they trust is higher than what the job is worth or the outcome is worth, then that gives them an opportunity before it's too late to shift gears and say, you know what, if we're going to if I was going to spend that much money, I'd rather have it with you. I'd rather spend it over here on this other thing that's higher mm-hmm. priority. I didn't yeah. realize that, that, you know, it would, I thought it would be something you could figure out in a couple of hours. You're telling me it's more like 20 or 40 hours. So mm, that's, that might change the, the buyer's prioritization of what needs to get done when. So it's only fair to, to tell that to them so that they can make an actual decision, like a, a higher level decision versus the sh- sure I have no idea how long it's going to take and I'll just start the meter running and let you know when I'm done. And then like 80 hours, one week, but 80 hours later, (laughs) you hit them with a bill for $3,000 and it's like, whoa, 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 you know? So I feel like from from the, from the client's side or the, uh, what word are we using? The buyer side, which we are oftentimes, Mm. whether it's a VA or we're hiring contract help for something, the key is to ask those questions if your person isn't bringing them forward. Oh, well, what, what will that cost? How many hours will it take? What are we, what have we agreed to? Do we have flat fee pricing? You know, all of those things you want to address right up front. And Mm -hmm. it does, it makes the working relationship so much better. Even if it turns out not to be the right relationship, at least Mm -hmm. you've opened it and closed it in a reasonable, you know, fair way. Yeah. Yeah. Just never accept. I have no idea as an answer. Yeah. Right. It's even if they, even if they genuinely don't know, it could be a million, I could die still working on this, or it could take me 10 (laughs) minutes. Like, okay, then how about this? You know, as the buyer, if the if the seller is refusing to give you any kind of rough estimate, then say, okay, how about this? Work on it for ten hours. I'll I'll pay for ten hours of or one hour or whatever, whatever some reasonable amount of time is for the for the seller, and I'll invest that much money and to find out how long you think it's going to take you. Get some kind of indication with like uh, it's it's a little bit it's funny it's a little bit like a road mapping engagement that I sometimes talk about or we sometimes talk about where like you do a small engagement to get more clarity about the very hard to get your arms around big engagement it's kind of like a little miniature yeah. test 
where you say like, all right, well, look into, take two hours. I'm happy to pay you for two hours to look into it and come back to me with a ballpark on what you think it's like. Cause, cause you know, yeah. this, the, the seller in this case, they might very well know it's not going to take them 80 hours. Like, oh, there's no way it's going to take me 80 hours. And, but they still say, I have no idea. Right. So just don't accept. I have no idea as an answer because yeah, you're I setting mean, up a, yeah, go ahead. It, well, I was just thinking it's a little like when you get your car fixed, like so there's something really weird happening with the car and they don't know what it is. They've never seen it before. I've had this happen a couple of times with different mm. cars. And, you know, <laughs> okay, I'll pay you for two hours. And it's, it's funny, it's usually as two hours to go like do as much as you can to figure it out. I understand that may not solve the problem, mm. but I want you to come back to me with an estimate of what it will take. And when right. I say estimate, I mean firm quote. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So it's just, it's self-preservation on both sides. It's, it's preservation of yeah. the relationship on both sides because you're, you are, you're avoiding something I sometimes refer to as the assumption gap. Like both parties are making assumptions. And if there's a gap in the un, sort of unstated assumptions uh, that you don't find out until it's too late to undo the hours, then that's, I mean, this is just one of the, this is one of the reasons yeah. why hourly billing is nuts in the first place. Because this happens all the, there's surprises on every kind of project. Never mind like stuff you've never done before. Even stuff you've done a million times before you're going to have surprises on, which is like. Well, and well, the surprises are where the relationship comes in. You know, in the example that that this uh, listener referred to, if the VA had come back to me and said, oh, you know what? We should have talked about this ahead of time. And I just went off and did this. So let's just, you know, call it an investment and I'll give you a credit next month for this much or something like that. But, but it wasn't, it was the person said, you know, basically I work those hours and you owe me. And I, I, to me, that told me the mindset, which, by the way, was an employee mindset versus exactly. a business owner mindset. Uh -huh. And I realized it didn't matter what we did. It was never going to work. So I paid the fee and I said goodbye. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But it, it could have ended a lot better because I did not feel good about the way that it ended. Right. And um, yeah, yeah. So it's you learn things about people. And, and part of this, I believe, is what we want to do with this is we want to be not employees. We want mm -hmm. to be business owners. We want to be perhaps partners in what they're doing. We don't want to be a vendor. We don't want to be an employee. It's we want to do everything we possibly can in the relationship in how we present our services to make it clear that we are independent professionals. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Let's speaking of that, that's a good segue into the the last piece of the question, which was how do you do this? In other words, how do you warn the client that you don't have expertise in something they ask you to do? How do you do this without degrading your authority? And my feeling on this is it's sort of it depends on a bunch of things. I think the one that's most prominent in my mind is it depends on what you do. And and I know this is like a software type of question, but if you but I think this applies to all sorts of things. So like if you are a commando type and pretty much everything you do is something no one's ever done before, like you're cutting edge, mm. you are the person that they call when they don't know who to call. Like they've got a problem and they just know Mr. Wolf can fix it, right? Like mm -hmm. Pulp Fiction. <laughs> He's just a fixer, right? Like you can be dropped behind enemy lines and and come away with a win. 
And, and it's always like, you just, that's what you do all the time. So then of course, then that's not going to affect your authority at all. In fact, it would just bolster your authority by doing it yet again. They say, oh, I've got this crazy thing. It's never happened before. We got, you know, we asked around, everybody said your name. Uh, and, you know, can, can you do it? Can we afford, you, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. And so, so in a, a scenario like that, it's not going to, it's not going to negatively affect your authority at all. That is your authority. Like that's your reputation. You do the thing that nobody else could do. And by the way, you could probably charge whatever you want <laughs> if, that's, right. if you're that kind right. of a person. But, I, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. But just to to put it in context, I want to be like, you know, not knowing what you're doing and showing up anyway is actually a very in-demand skill. Mm-hmm. It's creativity. Like you're, you're on-demand creativity. So to bring it into more of a maybe a realistic scenario, it could be something like, um, I don't know, some like cutting edge tech thing like... Uh, some ML or AI or or blockchain or, you know, some generative art. Like somebody's like, someone sees an opportunity. Someone with a bunch of money at a, either a funded startup or a VC is like, we need somebody to figure this out before anybody else does. We see an opportunity here. Uh, could be wrong, could be wrong, but we're prepared to bet $500,000 that we're right. And we think the upside would be 10 or 100 times that. And we need somebody who can do the R&D, do the innovation piece, you know, like, and mm-hmm. and what are they going to do? They're going to ask around. They're going to look for someone who just wrote the only book on it. Um, they're going to mostly ask around. They're not going to Google for it. It's not going to come up on a Google search almost certainly. Could, it could, I suppose, if the person was like a prolific blogger on this cutting edge thing. But it's probably going to either be a book or they saw you speak at a conference about it or someone saw you speak at a conference about it. Because it'd be something so cutting edge and new that that really no one knows how to do it. And they're looking for the person who's who they believe credibly has the best chance of pulling a rabbit out of their hat. So, you know, so that's kind of the commando thing. It's like, you know, are, are you an innovator in the blockchain space or uh, something that where there just are no thought leaders or, or barely any or uh, barely any thought leaders that just rent themselves out, you know, like, like mm-hmm. there might be some, somebody that works up at Google that maybe knows more about it than you, but they work at Google. Like they're not taking consulting gigs. So it could be that you are the only one out there that does this thing that is nothing but creative. Uh, it's like R and D innovation, this commando type work. Uh, so that, you know, just to give you an example of something that's kind of in the software space that, um, that would look like that. Now, if we're talking about stuff that's like, if we back down the food chain from there, the degrading your authority thing, I can't decide. I don't think that it would degrade your authority. I don't think people expect you to know everything, right? So so if you imagine that it's like, oh, I do software, uh, but I've always been open source, PHP, Linux, LAMP side of the fence, and someone expects me to like, Oh yeah, we need all of that stuff you do that, that you usually use AWS for and and open source stuff for. We need you to do exactly that, but with Microsoft, with a Microsoft stack like Azure and Office and blah blah blah, all that stuff. I don't even dot, dot net. I don't even know. I don't even know that side of the fence. And you know that I don't think that is going to negatively impact your authority. Be like, well, I don't know how to use those tools, but I can do what you want with these tools. And then it becomes a conversation around why do you want to why do you even care what tools I use to build your house with? Like, 
Who cares if it's like DeWalt or Milwaukee table saws? Like, who cares? They might have a good reason. They might not. But if they do have a good reason and it's that massive of a, of a you know, like you've got 10 years of experience and none of it has ever touched anything .NET or anything on the Microsoft side, then it's like you aren't going to learn that in four hours. You are going to step on every landmine out there and you probably would be much better off and the client would like you even better if you found someone for them. You could maybe even say like, no, I don't do that. I can't learn it. The reasons that you gave to pick that stack do make sense. Uh, I wouldn't touch a project this size with a 10-foot pole on something that I, that big that I've never touched before. Uh, but I do know how to vet people. I do know how to find people that can do that for you. You can, I could do that for you for maybe for a fee or, uh, and maybe even stick around as an advocate for the client because you, you understand their business and you speak software, even though it's a different stack and be, uh, engaged in like an advisor retainer project oversight type of stuff. Or you could just be like, ah, I know where to find people like that. I'll just let you go find them and decline the work. So from an authority standpoint, uh, I don't think anyone would expect you to know absolutely everything about everything in an entire domain, the entire domain of software. That would be bonkers. Uh, but but it is incumbent. I think, I think it is incumbent on you and it would be negative on your perceived authority if you took on something that was just... It, insane. I mean, that would be, you know, if, if, if I have no, I have no idea how long it's going to take me to build this app on a software stack that I've never touched before. The answer to that question literally could be 500 hours or a thousand hours. It could be a thousand mm-hmm. hours for me to get up to speed on this. And then the buyer's going to be like, okay, no, that's in, in, in that case, it is worth my time to find someone who already knows this. Uh, and, and maybe there's some introduction that, that you would do for them, but at a certain point it becomes ridiculous. And as a professional, you would, I mean, it would be, I mean, what would be your motivation to even take that on? I mean, it would just surely just be the money. The money. Or you're maybe, maybe you've been, okay, here's, this sometimes happens. People's are like, certainly it's the, I need the money. I haven't got any leads. Uh, I'll figure it out on the fly. Oh, I, I'm smart. I can figure it out. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to hire that, that person. Right. Um, but the other thing, the other thing, and this actually came up in the question, which I loved, um, was that you do sometimes hear freelancers say, oh, it's being a freelancer is great. I get paid to learn new things. I get paid by the client to learn new things. And this, I, I, this, I think is a, um, a mentality that will hurt your authority and will hurt your sort of perceived expertise being a partner. Like, well, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, I feel like that's a different kind of freelancer. The freelancer that says I get paid to do new things is probably somebody who's being paid by the hour the, or the more likely the day, like they've got a day rate and they're substituting for somebody else. They are just one step outside of an employee with none of the advantages and all of the disadvantages. Um, that's how it, I'm not saying all freelancers. I'm saying that kind of freelancer that might say that. Yeah. Like right? staff augmentation. Yeah. And and the thing is that as I was listening to your response is when you don't know something, there is the opportunity to move up the food chain. Um, not if it's like another detail, but in the, in the way that you describe this, this scenario, if they got to choose the firm that did the work and the other stack, and 
they got to be involved in that situation, that's moving up the food chain because mm-hmm. you're not coding, right? You're you're being a strategic resource. So there's, I always look at when you have an opportunity to do something new is, is there a way to use this to move up the food chain? And when I say that, the way that you want to move. In other words, mm-hmm. if you're happy coding all day, then you say, no, I don't do that. Let's move on. Right. (laughs) Right. But if you want to move up the food chain, you want to be more strategic, you want to not rely on hourly billing or low level billing, lower level billing. um, This is an opportunity. And in fact, I'm also going to argue that generally speaking, when somebody says, you know, I I don't do that or I don't know that uh, I haven't done that before, that increases their authority in my mind because they've told me a truth that feels vulnerable. Yes. And I really respect that. Um, doctors do it all the time. You know, an internist isn't going to look at your foot, right? They'll look at it for two seconds and say, oh, you need to go to a podiatrist. So yeah, it's, it is actually an authority building move. The only time I can think of when it's not an authority building move is when it's somebody who is super technical and they're, it's so obvious that they want to stay in that, and I'm talking about a very small box, like I only use this software. I don't do anything else. I don't use anything else. I don't care about anything else. That person for me is not going to be attractive because they, you know, they don't have authority. They just want to do the work. Right. That's not, yeah. a, that's not authority. They, they don't have any authority, so they're not going to reduce authority. I'm just not going to look at them ever as an <laughs> authority. I, I just wouldn't. Right, right. Yeah, it's like at best maybe like a craftsperson. Who's just like yeah, crafting which this is stuff. yeah, which is not a bad thing if that's what you want. I'm just saying that's not that's not authority building. Yeah. Okay. So there's an important point in there that I want to amplify a little bit, um, which was about learning new things, getting paid to learn new things, and there's there's sort of the moving up the food chain that you talked about. There's another one that I think is not a great one to do to charge your clients for, and that's to put a new tool in your toolbox. So. Mm to use software as an example, again, it's like, oh, I've been doing, uh, been doing, and you've got this ongoing client relationship, right? And they ask you, or let's say they say, you've been doing, I don't know, you've been using Ember for front end development for 10 years. I don't even know if Ember's that old, but let's say you've been using Ember for 10 years. And uh, for, for good reasons that we can explain later, we want a React front end for this particular application. You're, you are our trusted software person. And, and, you know, and the software person doesn't know React at all. So it's like, what do you do? Like, what are the, what's the situation there? There's a, there's an opportunity for you to move up the food chain, like you just described, Rochelle, where you say, well, no, I don't do that. I'm not really interested in learning it uh, be, for good reasons. But I also, uh, I also agree with your good reasons for wanting React instead of the thing I'm good at. I, you could move up the food chain and possibly in that scenario and say like, I will help you get a React person and I will be the interface or I will be at least a, a um, advisor to make sure that wh- whatever React developer you get uh, delivers high quality stuff quickly, doesn't gadget you on the invoice, you know, charges a reasonable fee, does good work. Uh, you know, you can help test, review the code, make sure business requirements are, you know, just sort of babies, not babysit them, but just sort of have a, be a technical, provide technical oversight uh, with no skin in the game, right? So, so just a pure insurance policy for the, for the client. So that would it'd be it's one It's like example. you're a buffer, like mm-hmm. for the client, you're a buffer. 
yeah, facilitator, a translator, you translate business speak into the code, like, because you'd know enough about a front end framework to be able to communicate about it. Like, even though, you know, you, you don't maybe understand all of the intricacies of React and that whole world, you still know what good code looks like and so forth. So you can still do a reasonably good job there, even if it requires whatever. So that's one way. That's one way. That's moving up the food chain. That's what you were talking about. The other way is a lateral move, which I am not a fan of. I'm not a fan of is the client paying you. This is what we talked about before, where the client is like, um, no, sorry. The client is like, we want this belt and react. Everybody's got good reasons for that. And you, and you say, okay, I'll learn react to do this. That is not my favorite. Yeah. It's just like, because then it, then it's the next flavor of the month, whatever comes after react, whatever comes after, whatever comes after. And to me, that's a sign. It's a sign that someone is like, they, they love tools. They're in love with their tools and they want to amass more tools. It's like a woodworker that, that, that doesn't make anything, but just keeps buying new tools. Well, and if, if you if you flip that around from the client's perspective, they get somebody with less experience that probably costs more. Yeah, paying a premium it's like, for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I knew that as a client, I'd be going, eh, nope, right. <laughs> next. Yeah, yeah, right. Because you're you're not going to probably. Well, I guess this is the the nature of the question, though, right? Like, like you could say, I guess your options are in that scenario, be like, I will get up to speed on React in two weeks on my dime and then I'll quote the project or then we'll move forward. Right. So you could say, uh, I know the best react instructor in the world. Uh, He's got a course or she's got a course coming up next week. I will do the crash course. I will, uh, I predict that my experience doing front end stuff with Ember for a decade will translate as long as I understand the ADMs of this new thing. I think I can pick it up very quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the end of that, I will get back to you and, and, and give you a sense of, you know, am I feeling fluid in this or is this really, should you really hire an expert? I mean, that could be an approach. I think that would be fair to the client. It might be acceptable or not acceptable based on their timeline, but, uh, I just don't love it for the, I don't love it as a business move. No, I don't either. As a business move, it's not great. I don't either. And the other thing is it's not building any brand either with with that client much less externally you know your brand is oh i learned the newest tool Uh, (laughs) that's not i mean that's somebody that maybe a technical resource inside a large organization would hire to do a thing but it's not someone that i would hire to give me strategic advice about probably anything right so yeah and there's this story that's been uh, there's a story that keeps popping into my mind. It's been popping into my mind ever since this question came in. And there's this desire to always be learning new things and growing and so forth. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when I was, you know, whatever at the beginning, you know, more at the early end of my learning curve in building, let's just say web stuff, every little thing I learned was fun. I, I had like even doing stuff the hard way, uh, not using frameworks, like really understanding what was going on under the hood and like all of that stuff was just fun, 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 fun. And, you know, if I'd been charging by the hour, then I would have been getting paid to learn fun stuff. At a certain point, though, I noticed, especially with FileMaker, because FileMaker is such a small domain space, especially with FileMaker, I noticed that uh, once I once I stopped billing by the hour and I went solo, I noticed that I was at my most profitable doing the most boring stuff, right? So like not Sounds learning, right? <laughs> right? Because yep. it's just like, 
you can just make the software stand on its head. You can make it do stuff you probably shouldn't even do, <laughs> right? Like, you know, five ways to solve the client's problem. And, you know, they come to you, they've got a, a request or they got some kind of problem. And you know, five different ways to solve it, not just one. So you can actually be super picky and get really into their requirements and so forth and all of their constraints and solve it like an artist almost, mm-hmm. right? But you're not. So then the question becomes, what about learning new things? Won't you get bored? And that's when I think it's important to start thinking about moving up the food chain instead of going laterally to Airtable. Now I'm going to do the same thing with Airtable and start over at the bottom of another ladder. No, I don't think so. It's like yeah. move up the food chain and be like, and start to either you could become, do, there's a million things. You could package your expertise in all of the different ways that we would normally recommend and sell it in a different way. And what you're going to be learning are going to be a new category of skills. So it's not, you're not just learning the next tool that someone created. You're learning something maybe a little bit more evergreen, like how to communicate with clients to uncover user stories or how to do user testing in a way that actually reveals product market fit. Or like you're going to go up the food chain to the things that are higher value because like the actual coding is not that high value. Yeah, it's it's a little bit. I keep going back to the doctor analogy. It's like if you're if you're that expert in that one thing, it's like you're the like the brain surgeon, mm-hmm. and um, you know at some point maybe brain surgery bores you. Okay, right. that's hard to imagine if there's lots of stuff going on. But you could become, you could become a, a an advisor who helps people find the right brain surgeon for their situation. Mm-hmm. You sort of a referral source. You could become a coach to neurosurgeons. By the way, I've just learned recently there is such a thing. They actually go in the operating room and comment on your technique and help you to improve it. And that mm-hmm. would change your market, right? Now you're not looking at patients. You're looking at your peers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can play with something like that than just becoming, you know, the super person at what you do. And again, I this is not a value judgment. Being the best at what you do is sort of like the definition of an authority. There's nothing wrong with that. And we tend to find ways to, um, I don't want to say embellish, but it's um, to, to build that out to really challenge us, whether it's that you want to know the latest and greatest techniques around neurosurgery or you want to share with some up and coming people. And that gives you satisfaction. I mean, there are ways to work within your your circle to find the right balance of being at the very top of your craft with still learning new things. Mm. Well, yes. And and let's let's not forget that we're talking about probably in this case, solo business owner. There's all the business stuff that you're probably on the learning curve for. So like you can learn that stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. So like never sure. mind you know, you're going to need, you in theory, need to learn things about positioning, sales, negotiation, marketing, uh, podcasting, speaking, emailing, like all of these, all of these activities that are part of running a business, like, like name a business that doesn't have a marketing person, like a, a, a real business that doesn't have a marketing person. Like that's a whole category of stuff. If you want to learn something, go learn that. Right. It's mm-hmm. which probably horrifies. I probably just sent a bunch of people <laughs> scurrying back to W2 jobs. But it's not like there's a lack of things to learn. 
right? You don't need right. to bill your clients for everything you learn, even if it's, you know, on their behalf. But before we, I feel like jumping around, but the, speaking of working on the business, uh, there are ways that come up regularly with, with me and, you know, my own personal business and also students where you, you're doing something new, you're pushing yourself into a new place, stretching your boundaries, maybe creating a new product or a new service, uh, experimenting with a new, you know, what could become a new business model. There's all these like business things you can experiment mm -hmm. with. Yep. And you just, you know, like when you bring that to the market or you bring that to your audience, you do it in a way that ref I think you do it in a way that reflects your confidence in the uh, what success they should expect from the thing. So that was super abstract, but let me just like make it concrete. When I first put together TP, uh, the pricing seminar, it was going to, it was like a monster. It was big. It was long. And, uh, and it was a major, it was a first, right? I had not done a course like that before. I'd gone through something similar that I really liked. It felt really effective. And I was like, I want that kind of the effectiveness built into a course around the kind of stuff that I teach. So I put that together. And when I first launched it, it I, I priced it to sell. But, you know, and I said to everyone, I'm like, look, this is a beta. Consider this a beta, like a pilot program. I charge 99 bucks for it, which, you know, it's like almost 10 times that now. But I was like 99 bucks for it. And it's like, and, and I'm looking for feedback. It is not going to be perfect. It's going to be a learning experience for everyone. I do believe that you will get $99 worth of value out of it. Um, and it, it's just like, I was just really transparent about it. Same thing with the first version of hourly billing is nuts. I was like, you can have it for free. Use this code. You can get it for free and just give me feedback. Tell me any typos, anything that didn't make sense. You know, it's, it's all, I guess, I mean, it kind of boils down to back to the beginning where it's like if someone asks you to do something that you don't know how to do, your first decision is yes or no, am I going to agree to do it? And then the, the second thing is like, how am I going to, how, how is this going to become fair to the client? Like, how do we work out a fair deal here where they're asking me to do something that I probably have aptitude for, but I really don't know how to do. And then it just, to me, it's all about setting the expectations around what fair is or what acceptable is, which is probably always going to boil down to, how much will it cost the client, first of all? And second of all, how long is it going to take? Because there might be some calendar concerns based on their deadlines or whatever. I'm kind of seeing in my head like a decision tree. And the first question is, do you even want to do this? Right. <laughs> you know, yes, no. And then we, yeah. And then the client thing is next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I suppose there's, there's also, there's a s s tougher to quantify like confidence level of, of on the estimate, like as you're trying to be, you know, transparent to the client. It's like, there is some point there's an estimate in the transparency and, and yeah. And as the client, if you don't have some kind of expectation or about how much this experiment, it's an experiment. So if you don't have some expectation about how much the experiment is going to cost, you better get one before you say, okay, just to make sure you're in the ballpark. I mean, both yeah. parties, you're just asking for trouble. Well, yeah, it helps you too, because it, it, it forces the discipline on you to look at what it's going to take and then really think about like, do I want to do this? And can I provide value to this client? You know, in the, in the decision tree, there's also the, and if I do this, will there be something that I get excited about that I can use to build my business in some other mm. way, you know, yeah. but the, yeah, I mean, obviously you, I think you start with, do I even want to do this? 
Like yeah. start with you. You don't have to yeah. be a martyr about this. Start with you. And then it's how is this, how does this look from the client perspective? Is it good? Is it not great? And just recognize that you may not know how your client thinks about this. Like the example I gave earlier with a developer, I don't want it somebody new. I, I mm-hmm. want to keep the continuity. I want to keep this simple. I don't want a team of 10 to mm-hmm. deal with something that's relatively simple. And that's worth more money to me. Right. And yeah. if you're working with big corporates, it might be worth a lot of money to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing, you just you just said something that triggered why I don't like the idea of the lateral move from this tool to that tool, if that's what we're talking about, is that it's so not strategic. It's mm-hmm. completely reactive. Yep. And I can only think of two. And, and if you're just doing it because someone asked you to, and you're not thinking about it in the big picture, like how does this how does this align with my strategy and my overall objectives for my business? You're not thinking about that. You're you're mm-hmm. probably thinking of one one or both of the following. I need the money, so I don't want to say no. And or I want to. It would be fun to learn a new tool to put in my toolbox. Mm-hmm. Like though, I think both of those motivations are like. I mean, if you need the money, you need the money. But but it's not strategic. It's survival. And that's right. That's not. And a your great goal place is to, to get past the survival, and so that you can say no if it doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the big. Yeah. Honestly, that really boils down to why would you say yes? <laughs> it, this is a mindset thing because I think sometimes people feel like oh, I have to do it because I only have three clients, and the client asked me, so I have to. Mm. And no, you don't. Right. No, you don't. That's why it's a business. It's why you're not an employee. It's why you don't have benefits. It's why you have to pay your own social security. <laughs> yeah. Right. Your marketing and sales. Yeah. And yeah. This is not. You know. This is not being. Not being an employee with with. No, I'm having too many double negatives. What you don't want to be is you don't want to have all of the disadvantages of being an employee with none of the advantages. That's right. not what we're talking about here. This is about growing your business the way that you want to Mm -hmm. and just blithely saying yes to anybody is not going to get you there right it shows a lack of strategy because strategy is helps you know what to say no to exactly Mm. all right i don't know if that any of that made any sense do you think any of that made sense do we let me i want to look back at the question do we answer the question when is it okay for a freelancer to build a client for on-the-job training okay we covered that should you always warn the client that you don't have expertise? Yes, we answered that. And how do you do this without degrading your authority? Okay, I, th- I think we, I think the answers to those three questions are buried in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> what's What's funny is that we thought this would be like twenty minutes tops. Yeah, that's impossible. I, I yeah. don't know how to talk for only twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, I think let's maybe leave it on this idea that this is all within your control. That you always have the ability to say no. And, you know, sometimes these opportunities can be really exciting and be strategic and be on brand for you. Great. Go after it like the last bust of the night. But, you know, (laughs) just blithely saying yes to everything is not going to get you where you want to go. Well said. Great. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.